Hello, church family. If you have your Bibles, please uh, join me as we go through Acts chapter 16. I start from verse 19 until, um, I guess we'll go to the end of the chapter for today. Um, just to kind of give us some context of where we're at. Um, at the end of chapter 15, this really begins Paul's second miss- missionary journey. Uh, there was a separation between uh, John, Mark, and the Apostle Paul. Uh, it doesn't really specify what it was. Uh, well, it does specify in terms of why Paul didn't want John Mark here. Uh, was because he because John Mark abandoned them before. <clears throat> it uh, the scripture doesn't tell why the first time John Mark abandoned them, but out of just um, I guess maybe f- uh, fear of uh, John Mark abandoning them again, Paul uh, has a you know split with them. So Barnabas took uh took took uh, John Mark to go another to go somewhere else to ministry or the Apostle Paul, and uh, Silas went. And we talked about how even in that conflict, um, that was needed in terms of, in terms in a way for the Lord to use uh, the, uh, this conflict, <clears throat> conflict so the gospel will be made known to the whole world. Um, they, they encounter Timothy, they can't, this actual word Luke gets introduced, um, and then we talked about how even the Church of Philippi uh, came through all of this. So this is one of those miraculous instances where even in God's, uh, even in when man fails, God is still able to do and use man's failures ultimately to spread the gospel to, throughout the world. And we as Christians today, we are definitely the recipients of it because we, you know, we study the New Testament primarily. So we have a lot of um, resources uh, from them uh, because of uh, because of this one event. This this one separation is what led to the gospel of of Luke, the book of Acts, First and Second Timothy, book of uh, Philippians, and uh, as we see, as Paul continues to go through the second missionary journey, more people will come to saving faith, and more people will, um, and more churches will be built, and that's really how the gospel gets spread throughout the world. So God is good, even when things in life are not. So as we look at verse 19 to the end of chapter, uh, this gets to the uh, point where uh, you know, there were people that were getting saved. We talked about how Lydia was the really one of the church, one of the founders of the church in Philippi. Uh, and there's a contrast here with this other lady that was de- demonically possessed, and um, this demonically possessed lady wanted to almost like jump on the bandwagon that, uh, or, or or steal uh, Paul's thunder, or or even try and make a connection with them, saying that oh, we're just like them. And Paul rebukes the spirit, and the spirit leaves her. And this is where the story picks up. Um, so as we go through this, just understand that persecution comes to those that um, that, uh, that are faithful to the Lord, that goes against the grain, um, as you, as some would say. With some, from, so verse 19. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authority. Now, this shows you that in the cultic uh, practice, they don't really care so much about the person, but they only care uh, by, about the prophet. Uh, this lady here is no longer demonically possessed, and the first thing that comes to mind for them is that they are upset because there's no longer uh, money. They basically deplete their opportunity for them to achieve more wealth. And uh, that's and, and and as a result of that, they uh, brought Paul and Silas uh, to basically be um, rebuked for it. Verse twenty, and they have brought them to the chief magistrate. They said, 
these men are throwing over our city into confusion being Jews. So this is actually a racist remark here. Um, they're saying like these Jewish men, uh, remember this is this place doesn't have a synagogue, so the Romans didn't, you know, they're, I'm sure they've encountered the Jews there, but there wasn't any, um, th any spiritual safe space for those that are Jewish. So uh, Paul here doing what he did puts uh, him at odds with those that, uh, that want to profit and make money with these false religions. Uh, verse 21, and, and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or observe being Roman. And that's true, actually. Um, in that time, the Roman had this law in place where it said that if you want to have a religion, if you want to worship whatever god you want to worship, it has to be first and foremost registered uh, by the Roman government. So once they uh, have this, um, you know, I guess, religious exemption, then all of a sudden uh, they're not allowed to um, speak against them. So let's... So if you're so if you're like a new group and you try to convert people or, or, or go against it, you're essentially going against the Roman government. Uh, the, these false religions at the time were sanctioned by the government, and when you have this group of people that are against that or speaking negatively of them or trying to convert people away from that, that's considered uh, a, like a grave uh, crime. I think the equivalent to that would be if you, we were. Uh, if you're trying to witness to someone in like a Muslim country, uh, because in, in the Middle East, certain Muslim countries do not allow those who uh, you evangelize. It's considered um, it's considered a crime if you try to evangelize to those who, um, you know, in this Muslim world. So Christians have to be very discreet at that time. So that's kind of what's going on here. Paul and Silas are witnessing to people. Some people are getting saved and the accusation against them is that they're converting people to a different religion, that they're denying and really going um, going past the Romans' idea of what the um, religious societal norms are. Uh, verse 22, The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magic tore their robes off of them, proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When I struck them with their many blows, they threw them into prison, uh, commanding the jail to guard them securely, and he had received such a command... And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now they, um, you know, they attacked them. Uh, the magistrates attacked them, and they were thrown into prison. The prison there don't, it's kind of like a house arrest, but don't think like you know our modern day house arrest where you can like still guard it and stuff. This just basically means that they were chained to someone, uh, and uh, this jailer, uh, you know, understood his job, so he chained them in this very. Um, awkward position. It says here the prison were uh, sorry. It says they're fastened their feet in the stock. So the idea is that they would put themselves in this weird um, position where they spread their leg apart in hopes that they would get a cramp. Um, so they're in pain. This is really like a torture chamber, um, and they put them there because of what they were doing outside in the world. Verse um, twenty-five. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So the result and the uh, reaction to, for what Paul and Silas did during time of persecution was that they start praising the Lord, start praying to the Lord and singing hymns about him. Now, obviously, they didn't have a hymnal, so they were singing something. Most likely, they were singing things from the book of Psalms or things that they might have created themselves, but um, they, were, they had a heart of worship, even though they were in a very dire circumstance. Now, for us as Christians, we understand that sometimes when persecution comes, the circumstance is not what makes us worshipers. 
we aren't supposed to be people that lose joy based or have joy or not based on our circumstances. Rather, our joy is centered around Christ, and that doesn't change no matter what type of situation that we're in. So Paul here and Silas were singing, they're praying, they're singing hymns and praising the Lord. And what is there to be to praise to, to praise the Lord about? And you just know that the apostles had had this very mature understanding of the faith that if they were to be um, if they're to suffer, they understand that they suffered because God deemed them worthy to suffer this kind of consequence and pain. So they knew, they knew that. They understood that they were found worthy by the Lord, and they continued to praise the Lord because of it. Um, so they trusted in the Lord, even those very, very difficult times. Uh, they didn't sleep. They didn't bother by that. They just continued to worship the Lord in very hard circumstances. That's where something we need to be as well. Uh, there might come a time where you might lose your livelihood, um, but you want to know that you need to remember that in those times you still need to be pray, um, worshipers of the Lord. You know, we've had people on uh, that, ha that chose not to go to church because they don't feel like going to church. You know, there's have people that like they just begrudgingly like, oh well, today I'm just gonna sleep in. I'm not gonna go to church because I had a rough night or I had a very bad week or I'm not in a good mood. You know, that's not a legitimate reason to not worship the Lord. We, you and I are supposed to go worship the Lord regardless of how we feel because we worship him for who he is. And that's what you know, Paul and Silas were going through that. They were praising him and they were worshiping him. And then all of a sudden, verse 26, and suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison's house were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Uh, being in San Francisco, we know that there's always a possibility that um, you know, the big one will come, and we don't know how devastating that might be. But for this particular instance here, this earthquake that happens is very isolated and localized. Like it only affected the prison, it seems like, because it wasn't some major outroar from outside. There was no um, you know, needing of help or anything like that. It just seemed like it only happened here in the prison. And the result being that all the prisoners' guard, um, their, all their chains broke off. And uh, you can imagine how horrified that would be if you were there. If you're just, if you're not, you know, if you're like one of the prisoners and you're seeing all this, you're seeing all these, you're hearing the, these two people singing and all of a sudden an earthquake happens and all your chains fell off and, you know, you'd be, you'd be petrified. But even more petrified is the guard because back in that time, if you fail to um, do your job in protecting the people, I mean, preventing people from escaping the prison, then the result is that you die. Verse 27, when the jailer awoke and saw the prison door open, so he didn't even check, he just assumed that they all ran away. He drew his sword and was to kill himself, supposing that, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Now it's unknown how Paul was able to discern this. Maybe he heard a groan from the guard, or he heard the, the sword come out, and he, he just said, hey, hey, wait, 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 stop. Uh, we're all here. And, um, and this is a you know, again, God's providence and even in very difficult times. Because even when we go all the way back to the end of 15, if that conflict didn't happen with John Mark, then they wouldn't have gone to the missionary journey here in Rome. And because they uh, were here, uh, people were getting saved, like Lydia, uh, uh, Luke joined them, Timothy joined them, and now this family joins them in terms of being part of that early church in that area. Uh, he says, verse 20, and he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Uh, this person, this guard, uh, he basically lost everything. Um, he, 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 I mean, he's supposed to lose his uh, 
his life because of his because of what happened. But is in this desperate moment, I think he somehow the Lord worked in his heart to make him think about eternal things. That was more devastating than losing your physical life. It's your spiritual life, and I'm assuming this jailer had some understanding at that point that hey, he needs to be made right with the Lord. Maybe he heard the hymns. Maybe he heard the prayers, and it was like it was like it was like it was like the apostle planting the seed in in the jailer's heart, and the Lord caused it to grow at the moment that the earthquake happened. Verse thirty. And after he brought uh, them out, he said, "Sirs, what do what must I do to be saved?" And obviously, this the guard is not talking about physical uh, salvation because he's. He, that's not what's going on right now. Uh, he's talking about spiritually. Uh, he's saying, what, am I, what do I need to do? And Paul responds in verse 31. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And this is a phrase that we saw in the last time when Lydia got saved. When Lydia got saved, uh, all the people in his in her household got saved. And it doesn't say that one person gets saved and the rest family gets saved. It's that uh, when you believe the gospel, whoever in your family believes this gospel, they will be saved as well. Verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all the, all who were in his house. And he spoke to them that very hour on that night and washed their wounds. Immediately he was baptized and he and all his household. So there's a very unique uh, new change in this person's life. He used to be, you know, uh, uh, just their jailer. Now he, they're a brother. And not only that, he's like helping them out. There's this, the Lord changed his heart so that he started loving those that brought him the good news. And, you know, the, the wounds that Paul and Silas had during the beating were still there, and then he showed this um, practical way of love. And he, you know, he wasn't taught that much theology. He just, his heart was transformed so radically that he immediately served uh, Paul and Silas by cleaning their wounds. And in doing so, it shows that he has a, now a unique humility. That's, that's kind of how Christ washing the feet of the disciples. He just loved the people after, after being realized that he's loved by the Lord. And not only that, he got baptized. And you know, it was a very basic initiation for those that are Christians. Uh, he no longer cared about his identity or even um, his reputation, because even back then, getting baptized in a public way was a, a symbol of betrayal for some people and family, and or uh, you know, social, or you're basically identifying yourself with a social outcast. They didn't care, and he got baptized, and his whole family did it as well. And first thirty-four, and he brought them into the house and set food before them, and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. So, you know, if I was in his position, I would be happy to, if my whole family got saved, and we're all believers, and essentially, you know, we're all saved. And in this household here, I think if you add Lydia's and Paul and Simon, this is really, again, the, the, the startings of a new church plant here. They get saved, they're rejoicing, and they're praising the Lord. Verse 35, Now, when day came, the chief manager sent their policemen saying, release those men. So it was just kind of funny, because at some point it means that they're like, oh, okay, you're free, got baptized, and they came back like, hey, um, can you put these shackles back on just so, you know, I can still keep my physical life and do my job and maybe witness the other future prisoners? Um, so he, you know, they somehow they get his, you know, they just get uh, prisoner locks up, locks them up again, verse 35, oh, 36. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, the chief magistrate has sent to release you, therefore come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us in public without trial men who are Romans and have thrown us into prison and now are sent the, and now are they sending us away secretly? No indeed, but let them come themselves and bring us out. So this is you know, Paul being bold here. And um, 
And it's like, hey, they did something that was actually illegal. They shouldn't do this. Now, understand as Christians, um, as Christians in any nation, there are rules that Christians can leverage to their advantage. Um, I think that's totally fine. Uh, it's, Romans 13 tells us that we need to submit and honor government, but that doesn't mean that sometimes the laws that are made are not designed um, for us to, you know, there's, there's some laws that are designed for, to protect us, uh, even from the government themselves. So if there are things at which where you see like, hey, that's not actually legal, they can't do this, you have every right to do every legal means to go against it. Um, when you look at some of the things that are going on in our church, in particular in our day and age, um, you know, we have, as Christians, have the right to assemble, you know, we have the right to worship, and the government can only tell us so many things, you know, that's why, you know, we, uh, even though we don't do things like eat at the church, we still do communion, because the communion things, these are uh, our religious uh, privilege and rights, and the government can't tell us what religious things we can and can't do, uh, but at the same time, we want to honor them, we don't want to uh, we don't want to fight them, uh, but we at least want to use what leverage we have so that we can be at peace with all men. And Paul here is using his—he's just play, using his earthly citizenship as a way to confront these magistrates for doing something illegal. The government here was doing something that they shouldn't do. They know that God is ultimately the one in authority, and they need to uh, give an account to the Lord. And Paul checks them on this uh, in their decision making here. Verse 38, the policemen reported these words to the chief magistrate. They were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. So again, this, they, this was a no-no. They weren't supposed to beat a Roman without a trial. And they realized they are in trouble, that they did something wrong here. Verse 39, and they came and appealed to them, and they had brought them out. They were begging them to leave the city. Uh, and again, this is so funny because, um, you know, when it comes to money, they're willing to, uh, they realize, hey, they're taking our money, let's beat this guy. When they realize, like, their life is on our mind, then suddenly they're super nice to them. Um, you know, it shows you the priority of what's going on in their own hearts. Uh, they were begging and hoping that they would leave. And, you know, it's not surprising when this happens, whenever uh, people are checked when, uh, and they get caught of doing something wrong. They want to, you know, get away from the consequences of that. This is just how normal human interactions are, especially when they found that they've done something wrong. So this is what's happening here. Uh, verse, 30, verse 40. They went out of prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So they were in prison. They got out. They went back to that church plant that they did with Lydia. And they were just um, encouraging them. And then they went on to their way. And that's really where we're going to stop now. But as you know, as we go through this chapter, uh, this is really, again, this is all part of Paul's second missionary journey, uh, which starts off very fascinating, right? Like God using difficult circumstances, also bringing different people to save in faith. And that's how our life is. We go from place to place. Sometimes we move out into SF, move out of SF, but we should be able to touch lives that, are, that we encounter, whether it is our neighbors or our classmates or friends or um, people that we see in our, you know, our sport, sporting activities or other extracurriculars. These are all divine appointments that we need to take advantage of. Uh, we want to build those relationships in hopes that we can share the gospel with them. So again, like most things, most of the lessons that we've, at least I'm encouraged to learn as I'm seeing through this, this through the study of the book of Acts, is always be mindful of how God can use you. Uh, we're called to make disciples of Jesus Christ, and that's uh, the best thing that we can do in our life, is whatever, however you go about your day, always be aware of where you are in hopes that people that you interact with, and you share the gospel with them. 
uh, so that they can come to saving faith and you can and, and you hopefully even if possible the lord will even start a church just through your, your area because of just your faithful diligence and sharing the gospel with people well i hope that this is helpful uh, we're going to keep moving we're going to move on to i guess chapter 17 next i hope that this is helpful and useful for you and your walk with the lord today thank you and have a great day Thank you.